Hi, welcome to The Kicker. I'm Kyle Pope, editor and publisher of the Columbia Journalism Review. This week, what happens when democracy itself is the subject of journalism? So we've seen a lot of surveys and polls out in recent years, really the last couple of years especially, that talk about how people are losing faith in democracy and they're losing faith in democratic institutions like the rule of law and innocent until proven guilty, and especially in the press, which is what we are interested in and why we're here today to talk about this and about how journalists should respond. I'm thrilled to be joined by Bob Garfield, who I've listened to for a long time as the co-host of On the Media on WNYC and other places. Bob, hello. Hello, Kyle. How come you've never been here before? You mean to uh, Columbia University? No, to the kicker. Is it because... We're competitors. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, if you know, if you weren't doing me uh, a solid here, my my goal is to just bury you, uh, uh-huh. to render the Columbia Journalism Review and the Kicker irrelevant to uh, kind of a scorched earth policies that nobody will ever even realize that uh, you plied your trade. But uh, for the moment, you're useful to me, so here I am. So this is just a PR move on your part. It's basically a PR move. Actually, uh, it's a kind of a Paul Revere deal, I think. Um, You're going to save us. You're going to save us all. Uh, um, no, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm actually thrilled to have you. I mean, we, we view you the same way. We hate you. But, um, but today we're going to sort of <laughs> suspend all that. I get that, that a lot, actually. <laughs> um, it is a weird thing about, about being in the media coverage business. I mean, you're, you're covering the people you read, and sometimes you like what they do, but it's still a weird, a real wor- weird world we live in. And this is especially meta because you, you co-host a, a show about the media, and so now you've, you're on a podcast about the media, and you've written a piece for CJR <laughs> about this this crisis that you think we're in, which is, you know, all joking aside, this is this is serious business. So tell us about this thing is called the Purple Project for Democracy. Tell tell us about how it came to be and how you got involved. Right. So before I was a messianic narcissist trying to save democracy, I was a messianic narcissist trying to save the media economy. Uh, you know, as you are only too well aware, it is in free fall. And at risk is journalism uh, as a whole, and especially local journalism. It's not the beginning of a problem. It's the middle of a problem. And we were in a, economically, journalism is in a spiraling vortex of ruin. Mm -hmm. And the the, uh, Media Future Summit, uh, which I did in conjunction with Wharton for the last four years, uh, was an attempt to find ethical, sustainable revenue streams, if not actually business models, to help keep the lights on so that we could perform our our functions as a fourth estate. So mm-hmm. that was that. And in doing that, I got to know a guy named Jerry Wind, Professor Yoram Wind at Wharton. Uh, he was my collaborator on the project. And about 17 months ago, he and a colleague at Brookings, Rebecca Winthrop, who runs the universal, uh, the global education program there, is uh, they were, you know, wringing their hands about these data points that kept cropping up about the loss of trust and faith in democracy, in understanding of democracy and its institutions, and uh, certainly of devotion toward uh, American democracy, which used to be a kind of 
uh, implicit part of being an American. We were, you know, we were all indoctrinated in this stuff as kids, and some of it was propaganda, but mostly we were grounded in the the basics of how our democracy works, and uh, we 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 came to love it sometimes in a sort of jingoistic way, but mostly in a mindful way, and and because that is no longer that, that that's kind of disappeared, mainly because civics education has been squeezed out of the schools in favor of STEM and endless standardized testing. It, you know, kids are not indoctrinated, and they are forced to do, deal with the ongoing news, which we, by the way, cover quite well, uh, with, without, I would say, a grounding or even an understanding of how democracy is supposed to work. Can I just pause, pause you on that point? And you've looked at the polling data on this, but you know, my understanding of what was going on actually on this campus in 1968 outside of where we're sitting right now was, I mean, there was a fundamental distrust of democratic institutions from universities on down. And and it was fairly widespread and it was part of the whole fabric of the country at the time. So is this analogous to that period, do you think, or is this somehow much worse? Uh, the answer is yes and yes. In the 60s, uh, when as part of, you know, a, a kind of a, a global trend, there was a lot of leftist activism among students here and throughout Europe, it, it really hinged primarily on the Vietnam War. Yeah. I mean, that, that, that's, that's where it all began. Yeah. And, and it was, yes, distrust of institutions, and uh, it was generational, but uh, it was it was mainly about government, the mm-hmm. the government or succession of American administrations that had dragged us into this Vietnam quagmire, and it didn't. I mean, except for some you know radical leftists uh, like the Yippies and the Weather Underground and so forth, they they weren't attacking the very essence of democracy and its institutions. They just wanted policy to change. Right, right. I mean, basically, they wanted policy to change. Yeah. It was in it. It was in its essence a democratic protest. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, sort. I mean, it was. Uh, there was obviously a lot of civic civil. Uh, disobedience involved, but primarily it was the First Amendment being exercised fairly well. Right. What's going on now is just exasperation, uh, disaffection. Ennui, right? I mean, it's like, well, whatever. We don't Ennui. care. We don't care. Uh, yeah. I mean, uh, J- uh, Jimmy Carter was just ahead of his time when he talked about the great malaise, but, or malaise, I think he, but uh, there, people are looking at you know other options mm-hmm. like authoritarianism mm-hmm. and army rule. Mm-hmm. Twenty, I think, 20, some incredible percentage around twenty percent of millennials uh, said they'd be okay with that. Mm-hmm. Army rule, sure, if it, you know if it made the tra- trains run on time, mm-hmm. and, and and that is terrifying. And so you know, back to my spiel, we wondered how this could have come to pass and. A lack of civic civic education is one thing. Another is the fragmentation of media, of filter bubbles, ideology that you know, weaponized ideology, and all this other stuff. People have ideas about our democracy that just aren't grounded in in facts. Yeah. And uh, so we wanted to address the faithlessness by reintroducing the electorate to the basics of democracy, to how it all works, to stories from the, you know, the annals of democracy that show the stakes, 
not, Kyle, not to whitewash the sins and failures of American democracy. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> this is not revisionist history. We're not trying to erase the trail of tears this or Abu Ghraib. No, and it's not nostalgia, and it's not jingoism or America right or wrong or love it or leave it or certainly go back to where you came from. It is primarily, you know, it's some combination of an education campaign and marriage encounter, oh my God. which was this you cheesy put that thing in your from story, the 60s and 70s. I could yeah. not believe you put that in the story because my parents <laughs> did that. And by the way, they got divorced not that long after that. I think with, I think that's the common theme with marriage encounter weekends. Yeah, unfortunately. Yeah, you go off to some you know crappy uh, resort and you sit in a cold conference room and make goo-goo eyes at your spouse and try to remember all of the reasons you fell in love to begin with and then you try to forget the the shit show that is your actual life. Did you do that? Did you, you do it? How do you know about this? Kyle, I am like the oldest living American. I know, that's why I'm, I'm 64 asking. years old. I, uh, So no, I didn't do it because I was too young at the time, uh. but I observed it happening. I was aware <laughs> of marriage encounter. I think most people were wearing, you know, uh, leisure suits when it took place and there's really a, bad haircuts. There's a lot of macrame. There's a lot of macrame. <laughs> so... Um, so, I mean, what, what you're trying to do, I mean, it, it's so interesting because we're trying to do something similar here having to do with climate coverage. And we're trying to, um, this is a CJR project where we're trying to sort of get a lot of news organizations to sort of um, to sort of commit to amping up their climate coverage in whatever way they want that to look like. But just sort of acknowledging the fact that this, the, the scale of the story isn't being matched by the journalism that's there. And there's a lot of, you know, we see some resistance to, to news organizations like buying in on something, on some big effort like this. And, and you indicate actually in the very beginning of your piece that, that what you're trying to do is sort of against this general journalistic fallback, which is, you know, we're just there as observers. We're just going to watch. We'll write down what happens. Don't ask us to get involved. And you're saying people need to get over that and rethink that. Yeah, let's talk about climate because uh, I think it's a pretty good example. You know, there's two problems there. One is that news is about news. It's about something that's happened today that hadn't happened yesterday. I mean, fundamentally. And the, the problem with the climate story is, though, even though it is the biggest story in the history of humanity— and there will never be one bigger. It doesn't advance day to day and day. There is no news breaking, uh, you know, in the traditional sense. It is just this, you know, asteroid coming at us incrementally. And and there's nothing to report, you know, every news cycle. Oh, news cycle. Remember when we had news cycles? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, okay, well, j- just stipulate that for me for a okay. moment, okay? Because, you know, the, it, that my point can be argued. Yeah. But the, the second <laughs> problem is what you just uh, alluded to, and that is this wariness about crusading. Mm-hmm. You know, it was fine for the penny press in the early part of the 20th century, uh, you know, to sell to sell newspapers on the street, but uh, we don't do crusades. We're try- we try to be disinterested. We try to be uh, honest brokers of the news, and we, God help us if we should become part of the story, because one simply doesn't. Yeah, and you made that point, and I had a very savvy edit of your counter to that. Um, you, you, your lead of the piece that you did for CJR was, don't be part of the story, fuck that. Um, I took out one other word, 
but but that's the gist of it. Yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah, I had originally written "fuck that shit," but you were <laughs> able to, you able were able magically to reduce the copy by one third without changing the meaning, exactly. and that's a credit to you as an editor. This was a hurdle that you yourself personally had to get over. This idea of like, yeah, we 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 just can't we can't this 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 whole way of doing journalism that I spent my whole career on just isn't working at at a crisis like this. Yeah, funnily enough, I actually got rid of it a, a couple years earlier, uh-huh. uh, and I got rid of it when the when the Trump campaign began to pick up steam, mm-hmm. because while the Purple Project. And I mean, all I can do is give you my word on this is absolutely apolitical, yeah. nonpartisan, uh, has nothing to do with contemporary politics, Trump or anything else. Mm-hmm. It is all about preserving democracy, about not throwing out the democracy baby with the political insanity bathwater. Uh, my feelings about being part of the story changed when Trump was coming, because mm-hmm. so many of my colleagues were saying, well, you know, we'll write it all down, we'll write everything Danny says, and we'll document the outrages, and we'll assess the, the trajectory of the policies and assess their, you know, constitutionality and so forth. But other than that, we are disinterested observers. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're, not, we're not in the warning business. And I'm like, Aren't you? You know, if there's a Category 5 storm brewing in the South Atlantic and it's, you know, it's headed for Florida, then you're in the warning business. Yeah. And, I, you know, I thought it was hypocritical. And I'm saying, I was saying, there is a Category 5 storm called Donald headed for the coast. And it is time for newspapers and television to tell us all to, to nail plywood to the windows and evacuate because things are going to be bad. All yeah. right. So that's when I made that turn. Yeah. No, it reminds when me of I, we, when we had this climate <clears throat> thing here, we had Bill Moyers come and talk, and he was like, this is what journalism is about. This is why you became journalist. You see, the, you see a story of this magnitude, and you have to go for it, and you have to get involved, and you have to sort of like commit. Otherwise, what do you in, what do you in, what do you, why do you come to work? Yeah. Otherwise, what do you, why do you come to work? I mean, we, we fancy ourselves uh, guardians of... Mm of the society, of the nation, of the way of life. And yet, when things get a little hot, we hide behind this, this uh, I think, you know, false firewall of, what's the word? Uh, objectivity. objectivity. Yeah. So, specifically, what do you want news organizations to do? Oh, gosh, what do I want them to do? I, for 30 days in November... What many of them have agreed to do, and what I'm hoping hundreds more will do, is to devote some part of their daily report, or weekly report, or thrice-weekly report, whatever it is, to one way or another covering themes that touch on democracy and its institutions. And that could, you know, there's a million different ways to skin that cat. And you're not going to tell people what to do, necessarily. You're, no, you're, yeah. no, no. I mean, the only rules are, has to be nonpartisan, it has to be apolitical, and it can't be flogging a particular policy. So while I'm and obsessed with true. gerrymandering, and it true. has to yeah, yeah, we have that, that truth requirement. Uh, me, I, um, uh, campaign finance and gerrymandering are my obsessions. They're my betonoirs, but that is a no-fly zone for purple. What, mm-hmm. what it could be about is showing your readers where a story comes from. 
Uh-huh. You know, hyper annotating a story, any story. It doesn't have to be a big investigative blowout. It can be, you know, uh, you know, I, I don't know what, listening to a police scanner and following up and seeing what story comes out of it. It could be covering a school board. Uh, the idea is to tell people where the news actually comes from by way of disabusing them of the mythology that has evolved about, you know, everything from fake news to intervention of powerful people to uh, to manipulate the news and, and so forth. Is there a fear that the more they know, the more they're going to distrust us? I mean, I've, I see, we, we know how the news comes together, and it's not pretty, right? Um, I mean, it's, it's people take it seriously, and they really, you know, they put a lot of effort into it, and they try to be fair, but whatever. But it doesn't look that good from the outside, I don't think. Is there, a, is there a fear of a boomerang here or, or not? I can answer that three ways. First of all, yes. If people in the dining room knew what went on in the kitchen, they wouldn't eat at the restaurant. Correct. Yeah. And they would, you know, the more exposed they are to the reality of how journalism is made, the sausage making, if you will, uh, it, you know, it, it can be a little bit repulsive. On the other hand, what they'll discover is that the failings of journalism, and there are chronic failings and sometimes acute ones, they're, they don't have to do with corruption. Yeah. They certainly don't have to do with invention. They don't have to do with fat cats dictating. Mm-hmm. They're much more... Um, mundane. Mundane is the word I was groping for. Uh, they're much more mundane failings, you know, from laziness to herd mentality to, you know, I don't know, beat sweetening to bending over backwards, false balance, that kind of thing. Yeah. But they're not corrupt. No. They're infuriating. Yeah. It always makes me corrupt. laugh when people when people accuse us or others of these kind of grand conspiracies. It was like that's really not a thing, and nor is it in any newsroom that I know about. Uh, right. I mean, I remember back in the day, <laughs> being at, at the, now this was back in the eighties. I was working at USA Today, and I was trying to get you know a quorum to play cards, and I rem- I just remember so vividly standing up and saying. And you know, saying to everyone in general, but nobody in particular, you know, we're supposed to be manipulating the American people, but we I can't even raise a fucking poker game. <laughs> it's true. And, uh, yeah. So how are you, um, how are we going to know, so all these people are, you know, you're, you want to get as many people as possible to do these pieces about sort of democratic institutions and how it works and, and how is this all going to be stitched together? How are we going to know that it's a sort of a movement? Uh, it, well, it's not going to be, well, it, that's not true. It will be stitched together because the, the purple website will be converted from what it is now kind of informational to to a clearinghouse for everything that everybody does. Okay. Not, on, not only in newspapers, but in 14 different channels of media, mm-hmm. we will curate it and, and redistribute it. It will have a big, it will find a second life on social media and it will live in, in perpetuity online, of course. Mm-hmm. But if the plan works, I mean, it's a kind of an evil scheme as if hatched by Dr. No and a hollowed out volcano. But if it works, you'll know because you will not be able to avoid it because yeah. it's going to be in your newspapers. It's going to be in your magazines. It's going to be on the TV machine. It's going to be in music. It's going to be in the libraries and the bookstores. It's going to be at the university events. It's going to be in the classrooms. Mm-hmm. It's going to be in your Facebook feed. There will be no avoiding it. The reason we believed that the 100-plus the 
civic, uh, civil society organizations, you know, the do-gooder NGOs who have been working this same problem for 50 years. Mm-hmm. 50 years they've been trying to, to cultivate civic engagement and understanding, and they've obviously failed because look where we are. How have they failed? Well, it was all ad hoc. It was highly fragmented, no critical mass, and they were just completely under the radar. So the object is to brand them, to create a banner under which all of this work it becomes buoyed by the, the purple tide that lifts all ships. Yeah. And, uh, you know, if there is a brand for falling in love with your democracy again, and it happens to be called purple, you know, we can work with that. Yeah. Well, we're, we're happy to do our part. And I wish you success on this thing. It's hard. I mean, I know, and again, I see this from our climate project. It was just hard to get all these people together. And you're overcoming a lot of kind of entrenched journalistic sort of notions about what reporters should and shouldn't be doing. Yeah, well, it doesn't require being a propagandist. You know, you can go to the annals and tell stories locally or nationally in which you know, a little story turned out to be very big for the society. Mm-hmm. It led to a change in policy or in law, uh, freed an innocent man or or whatever. You know, just the annals of journalism doing what journalism does. It can be explanatory. It can be, you know, like schoolhouse rock mm. instead of, how you know, how do you make, what's it about Bill? Yeah, like following uh, yeah, a bill? yeah, I can sing part of it. How do you, you make a bill? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, that... that that Kyle, that won't, won't be necessary. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, so, you know, I don't care how they skin the cat, but I, I, I want every journalist at every news organization to think of one thing or 30 that they can do in the month of November to help flesh out this kind of miracle of civilization for their audiences. Yeah, and, and the, the underlying notion here is that this stuff is a lot more fragile than we thought. Bob, thank you so much. We can now go back to being enemies, but I did enjoy this conversation. I appreciate you coming on. I I did too, Kyle, and I'm very grateful to uh, CJR and to you for giving me the fora, because now we have two. Now we have two. Here's hoping, man. All right. Thank you so much. You can read Bob's piece called A Call to Journalists, Let's Save America on CJR and everything else going on at CJR.org and on Twitter and Facebook and in our print magazine, which is just out about the global approach to journalism. It's called Borderless. Thanks for listening. See you next week.